Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I ask that you pour your spirit out upon us and help us as we are on our journey to be more like you. Guide us and direct us and be with uh, Pastor Sung too. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Did you know that growing up and then growing old is different? <laughs> you know, growing up, growing old is a natural thing. You don't have to do anything about it, right? And no matter how much you do, I mean, you can't help. But growing old, unfortunately. But growing up is not the same. It's not natural. It is, you know, intentional, right? Yeah, you have to intentionally make it happen, right? And then we are comforted by knowing the Bible. It says, it is God who makes it grow. It is God who makes us grow. So there are formulas. There are formulas. In other words, there are agencies that God uses for our growth. Okay? You see? God is not, you know, God is not left out there that, hey, you figure things out. He doesn't do that. Or God doesn't say, you know what? It's all up to me. And so you just come to me and I'll take care of everything. No, God says that, you know, I have my agencies out there on this earth. And how come you are not going to the resources that I have provided? And so really, it's really important for us to be eye-opening about the resources that are available all around us including ourselves, and we need to be open about it. We need to be knowledgeable about it, and in that sense, we need to be resourceful about things. So I put down um, you know, quite a few things that we can do to help ourselves to grow up from a place of childhood breakdown, okay? And why do we think we need to grow up? Someone can answer, why do we need to grow up? <laughs> okay, why, why, why do we need to grow up? Because we are more useful when we are grown ah, up. That's a, good, that's a good answer too. When we are grown up, when we grow up, the more we grow up, we become more useful, more fruitful uh, for the kingdom of God, for other people. We become impactful in our lives, okay? How many of you want to grow up, up, up and all the time that you become, uh, you become an impactful person the way that God wants to use you, amen? Amen, yeah, that's what we want to be, right? And so that's one reason. Another reason why we want to grow up is because being in a place of immaturity, that's where all the dysfunction and that's where all the breakdown occurs. You know what I'm saying? And so immaturity and breakdown goes together. Immaturity and breakdown goes together. Of course, sometimes there is a calamity in your life that happens, and that, that allows you to go through traumas in our lives. But how do we deal with the trauma? And then allow that to work for us even. It really depends on our ability to handle them, and it all have to do with what? Our maturity. So we got to do everything we can to allow God, allow the resources around us to help us to grow. So let's take a look at 10 of them. We're going to go through it very, very quickly, okay? And how many of you are interested in following these guidelines that are given to you? Amen? Amen. You cannot be pregnant by thinking about being pregnant, right? You can think all you want. <laughs> and then there is no such thing as half pregnant, right? Right? <laughs> Either you're pregnant or not pregnant, right? Isn't it true? Yeah. And so same thing with growth. <laughs> you can think all you want. <laughs> you got to be all in. It's going to take investment on our part. Our part is very important. We got to put, what's the difference between breakdown and breakthrough? What makes the difference? Taking an action. <laughs> action. Action in a place of breakdown. Bring forth breakthrough in our lives. And then it is never, ever too late. Amen? Never, ever too late. So let's go through this knowing that we're going to follow through this, okay? Number one, daily what? 
Daily devotion. Daily devotion is so important. If you don't, if you cannot do a daily devotion, it's okay. You start with once a week. You start with once a month. Start somewhere. Don't beat yourself yourself up by thinking that oh no, I'm not having devotion every day. No, don't make it too guilty, you know, and and responsibility driven. But make a pursuit of trying to do it every day. Daily devotion. Uh, what the devotion is all about? Reclaim and nurture your identity in Christ. You remember we talked about it, right? You remember we talked about that. And then, do you need anything? Oh, handout right here. Thank you. If you don't have a handout, get them. Okay. Bonding time with Jesus in the Holy Spirit through word, prayer, and deeper meditation is very, very important. Okay. The reason why we do Bible study is not primarily to discover who's right, who's wrong, which day is right, who's which day is wrong, but it's about about your relationship with Christ. In the end, you know, Jesus says. Lord, I've driven out devils and I preach the gospel throughout the whole world. And then Jesus will only have one question. What is that? You know that. Do I know you? Do I know you? Do you know me? So it is that bonding relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need every days of our lives. Holy Spirit comes and Jesus comes. And Jesus comes, what? And then his love comes. We talked about that yesterday, right? Joy that comes from bonding will nurture and feed our souls with satisfaction, okay? How many of you desire for your life to be filled with joy, no matter what? You know, in the book Habakkuk, how many of you know the book Habakkuk? In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, it says that even if the fig tree does not bud, even if, the, you know, there is no, uh, there is no uh, animals in the pan, you know, no matter what, I will rejoice in the Lord. Amen? You know, life is filled with suffering and pain. But we got to make sure that we have more joy than pain. Amen? Yeah, we're not going to be pain-free until we get to heaven. We're going to have plenty of pain in our lives. But what kills the pain, what allows us to move beyond pain, is the joy of the Lord. And that's why we are here to build joy. We are here to create a movement of joy in the Lord. And I want you to know that Holy Spirit is everything about the joy. Amen? Whenever I go to a meeting, whenever I conduct a meeting and being with people, whenever there's a joy, there's... There's just so much. When they're just, just, just the Holy Spirit, there's just so much joy. It is just amazing to deal with. Okay, number two. Daily write a journal with Jesus as the Holy Spirit teaches and inspires you. Write down the wisdom awareness gate. Go home and buy one journal, nicer journal. There's so many journals out there, and you can buy one, and then it's your journey with God. You write down the wisdom and the knowledge and awareness and gratefulness, gratitude that you gain every day, you write them down. And then whenever you feel down, you look back and, you know, reminiscent of how God has been leading you. Number three, surround your life with those who could be a life-giving relationship. How many of you have people in your life, even, if it, even for you to just think about that person, allow your energy to be drained out? <laughs> and then sometimes we need to tolerate, you know, that if they happen to be our family members, we need to tolerate. We need to learn to go through, you know, suffering experience in a way that <clears throat> it will help us to grow as people. But we need to have enough people who could give, who could energize us. You know what I mean? And that's why just even thinking about meeting this person gives you energy. I'm not talking about boyfriend and girlfriend when, you get, when you're already married, you know. Um, <laughs> but we're talking about, we're talking about <clears throat> Christian brothers and sisters who can truly be there and energize you. You know what I mean? There was a time when my wife was sick. When my wife was sick, there was a, a, there was a, there was a couple of people in our lives who are just energy giver. They are just energizer. They're just full of joy and all that. So I had my wife surrounded by these people. And then they blessed my wife so much. These joyful people, if you just tell them, I'm going to buy you lunch, they come. They come. <laughs> and you need to have people, you know, you need to just have surround yourself with that kind of people in your life. We need 
we need those energizers in our lives other than Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. Amen? We need that. And number four, be part of the support group. This is very, very important. That's what Harlan, I mean, the Helene in the Journey to Wholeness is promoting. You know, be part of the support group like Journey to Wholeness where you can be open, vulnerable in a safe manner, avoid all means of being isolated. Being isolated is the worst thing that can happen. You can't grieve or heal on your own. You remember? You need the presence of someone else to be healed, to even grieve over things, okay? So it is very, very important for us to be in that kind of support group. Small group in our church, supposed to work like that. But unfortunately, we go to a small group, we don't feel safe, right? If I open up, the whole world will find out about it. And that's scary, right? You don't want your, your, your future of your children to be jeopardized, right? <laughs> and so we have a hard time being open. But it doesn't matter. If you can't be open in Adventist church, go to non-SDA group to join. Really, you got to be supported somewhere, somehow. As long as you don't change your religion, I mean. <laughs> okay, number five, practice being proactive as you take the ownership of the way you respond to things instead of living with victim mentality. So who are the one, who's the language when it comes to like blaming and, and uh, you know, complaining and then throwing temper tantrum? Who does it sound like? Immature child. Child. <laughs> It's a language of the kids. So if you keep nagging, 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 nagging to your husband, where are you in terms of developmentally? Because even if you speak in English, when you nag to your husband, all he hears is like, almost sounds like a bee. That's all you hear. And he has, he has an ability to tune out, go somewhere else. His body's there. But he has this spiritual experience being someplace else. <laughs> in that sense, man believes in rapture. <laughs> they text up and go somewhere else, you know? Really, really. And the same thing is true to a wife. A husband is pouring out his heart. And the wife can be like singing along and, you know, and just being checked out. We cannot do that. We, can't, we need to learn to communicate. Okay, number six, do not shame yourself or let others shame you. Very, very important. Joe, can you give me an example? Come on up, Joe. Can you give me an example? My wife is 100% prepared all the time. <laughs> you can say, oh, how stupid of me of doing such and such. Like, oh, I spilled the milk. Oh, how stupid of me. Instead of saying, how stupid of me, just say, yes, I spilled the milk. That's it. That's it. Don't shame yourself because mm. we're humans, right? We make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's okay. <laughs> you, know, you know how we've been programmed to believe in lies. There are people who've given us the script as a child growing up. You know what I mean? And then we ended up believing those lies, and then we leave out those lies, and then we repeat those lies, and then we promote the lies in the lives of other people. And so... So anything that has to do with shame is not the truth of God. You know what I mean? Yeah, action and your worth and value needs to be separated. You know, we may, we, I may have done some foolish things. Doesn't make me foolish. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. Okay. Right now, let's go on number seven. Be resourceful. By expressing your need without being desperate. That's really important. Expressing one's needs doesn't make me desperate. But we need to express it in a way that doesn't make you feel desperate. You know what I mean? Honey, I need this. I need that. You know? Oh, if you don't give this to me, I'm going to die. You know, all that stuff. That's manipulating. <laughs> that's threatening. Number eight, learn to set boundaries, saying no, knowing that enabling only makes others irresponsible. Right? When, when other people try to take an advantage of you, yeah, like, give me the water when he's closer to the water. <laughs> you know, then, hey, you know what? Walking is good for you. <laughs> yeah, you need to set boundaries. And you need to be able to say no without putting someone else down, okay? Number five, read books, gain knowledges, 
read schematically. So you make a point in your life, this year I'm going to learn about childhood issues. There's so many great books out there. And then thematically conquer books, study books, and then you may no longer need past doctor on being here. <laughs> and you know what? When I get to heaven, I'll lose my job anyway. <laughs> okay? Number 10, invest in things that would promote mental, physical, and spiritual health. Very, very important. Yeah. You know, health doesn't hit you until later. It takes so long for us to lose our health. And therefore, we don't take it urgent. But once it becomes urgent, then it may be, you know, too urgent. And therefore, like reading the Bible. Can you imagine if you don't read the Bible, you know, thunder like come and hit you. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. You don't read the Bible, you die. No. You know, it takes a long time for us to be spiritually decayed. But those are the things that we need to pay attention to. Not urgent things but important matters in our lives, okay? Okay, led by the importance rather than urgency. And when important things become urgent, that's good. Number 10, oh, I, did, I already did that. Joy-driven in all that you do as much as possible, do something that makes you happy. Have a playtime and make it restful. How many of you still do a playtime? How many, how many of you still take time to wonder of things? Here's the lady. She's like, she's filled with energy. If you need some energy, go to her. Man, she has so much energy to give us. Yeah. And, and how, how, how come you have so much energy? I don't know, but I was thinking it. What 62, do you eat? 62, I bought a horse. I take riding lessons. I oh. Travel, so I was, that's what I couldn't help but think of, you know, mentally, physically, yeah. and spiritually. Spiritually. Because you just learn so much about mm. dealing with people. Mm. Patience. You learn to enjoy yourself. Yeah. You see, self-care is a way to care for other people. And so many people at the church are interested in your horse. Mm. Really? Really. It's a subject that you can talk wow. about together. Wow. And it's a bonding thing in church. Mm. Can you imagine her riding a horse? Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. Okay, number two, how to let go of the past. I'm going to have Jewel to just go over it very quickly. Come on. She learned this from uh, somebody by the name of Christine Hasler. She's not going to hassle was, you. But. I was reading, uh, listening to Christine Hasler, and she had an amazing thing to talk about how to go let go of the past. And number one is to acknowledge. Acknowledge that I want to be cleansed from the negative energy of the plot past, that I want to be totally free from any bondages, any burdens, any guilt, any blockages from the past. Amen. You know, Amen. I, I want and I desire really, you know, like vibrant energy like she does. You know what I mean? To, you have to acknowledge this is what I want because you're mentally going to have to choose it. And then number two is a heart full of gratitude. Um, having a time of gratitude is really, really life-changing. First thing in the morning, say what you are grateful for. Ten things, you know, and before you go to bed, like morning and evening, and give credit for it. You know, like, I want to thank you, honey, for you've been always being there. You know, you've given me unconditional love. And to write it down and to talk and filling your heart with gratitude can really give you so much joy. You know, sometimes you cry because you're so grateful. And I'm talking about, like, what hot shower feels like. You know what? Hot, you know, just feel being grateful for the things like that, you know? You know? Really. I, I, was, I was taking a shower yesterday at the you know, shower place, and the man next door was singing for, like, 15 minutes all throughout. <laughs> he was singing for everyone. Singing for everyone. He was out of tune, but he was very happy. <laughs> And, and, and uh, I wanted to go and correct him, but, you know, but it really touched my heart that mm. he was really joyous. He was really singing. Yeah. yeah. And then later on, first it didn't sound good, but later on it was good to hear. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to, you could focus on the negative things, but what is that going to do for you? You know, choosing to focus on the blessing and feeling gratitude just changes your whole 
everything, your whole perspective. And number three, which I thought it was interesting, what is the payoff of staying in the past? Oh, yeah, what is that? This is a question that you're going to have to ask. What is it? Do I want acknowledgement? Or do I want attention? Like, this is what I've been through. Like, you know, I want you to hear me out, and I want acknowledgement from you. And until I, you know, you do that, I'm going to stay bitter. <laughs> like, what is the payoff? No, seriously, think about it. And so if that's you, a kind of a manipulation then, right? I guess You're so. You're manipulating the situation to get something that you but want. But sometimes we don't even know. See, there's always a payoff for being bitter or stuck or angry or resentful. There's a payoff. You think, no, I'm suffering. No, there's a payoff. That's why you're stuck. You're getting something from it. Like if you feel victimized and you're saying, you know what, I have no power, I have no choice, I'm a martyr, all this stuff. So you need to really spend time and think about what is the payoff for me of being in the past and move on. And number four is that am I ready and willing to forgive 100% of everyone that has hurt me. Wow. Uh, you know, am I willing am I and willing? ready? And 100%. I think, but maybe you can't do it. You know, that's why we go to God and say, Lord, I'm willing and I'm ready, but I, I don't have the heart. Give me that heart. And then also, we need to think, who do we need to forgive? Sometimes it may be ourselves. We are not, we may be forgiving others, but sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. So that's something to think about. And I think these were uh, very four steps that Christine uh, shared with me and that I wanted to pass along. Wasn't that great? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I think pretty soon my wife is going to take over. I'm going to take vacation. <laughs> with her, though, with her, that's a problem. <laughs> with her, that's a problem. Not with her, that's not good. <laughs> okay, are we ready to move on to adult? I mean, there's so much to talk about, childhood you know, issues to move on from and all that. There is no way we can cover everything. I can give you books and so on uh, tomorrow um, on our syllabus so you can continue study on. And every time I come, I'll share. Strong Tower maybe help us to continue to share and so forth. Let's move on to the adulthood, what it means to be an adult, right? Let's talk about that. There are uh, seven, eight characteristics of adulthood, the developmental uh, stuff that we have to deal with when it comes to becoming an adult, okay? Do you know what this looks like? Jewish bar mitzvah, right? Yeah, when they reach to the age of 13 and they make a big deal and memorize the Torah, you know, a portion of the Torah and they read and they memorize and then they allow them to be ushered into adulthood at the age of 13. Wow. You know, that makes me realize that we don't, we don't empower our children enough. You know what I mean? We allow them to wait too long to be a leader and so forth. So in our church, we allow high school students to preach in our church. And you know what? They do such a good job, I may, I may lose my job. <laughs> I mean, they, they share powerful preaching. College students, they start jump, you know, stepping up to preach and so forth. And we need to allow our children to be empowered. Jewish people have the tendency to do that. They, they uplift the person. You know, a whole community come together and cheer up this person, uplift this person, hold this person up, and we are cheering for you. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful tradition like that. And then I forgot the name of it. Even in Hispanic, com in Hispanic community, they have something like this. Huh? Yeah, Sayana or something. Yeah, they, they have this uh, rite of passage that they go through, and this girl become an adult now, you know? You go through this fancy process where, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a queen, you know? And then I went to Maasai group in, um, in Kenya, and then the, I, I was just really fascinated by this group of people called Maasai. They are the lion killers, you know what I'm saying? And then in the jungles. And then I went to a place nearby Kilimanjaro Mountain, Kilimanjaro Mountain in Kenya, uh, they have the safari going on. I mean, it's amazing, amazing safari. And then with the backdrop of Kilimanjaro Mountain. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the jungle, I saw this one church. And then 
Korean word was written on the. <laughs> it's like, wow, what on earth? The Korean, you know, lettering was written there, and then found out that it was a, it was a name of a church. And guess what? Twenty some years before, it was like thirty years now. One Korean lady came to that town, came to Maasai Group as a missionary. And she was able to witness to them, and then she was able to help them to build a church. You know, if you know Maasai group, they are the one who just goes around everywhere. Wherever there's a, you know, grass, they go and feed their uh, cows and all that. But then Maasai people were telling me that, you know, ever since this Korean missionary came and built a church, we could not go anywhere. <laughs> we are stuck in this church <laughs> because she paid so much so much sacrifice to build this church. And then you know they were just showing us this uh, special practice: how the Maasai become a man. Everyone has this spear, and then this this big you know long rod, and then everyone wears this red clothes, and then. They would like jump up and down, up and down. As a child growing up, they need to learn how to jump. As they jump, they make this noise, boom, 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 make noise like a, like a drum sound. And then that's how, you know, like a kind of a hallucinate <laughs> the lion. And then if one person is lucky enough to kill the lion, then this, this person, this boy becomes a man. And when he becomes a man, he's given an opportunity to choose a girl he wants. So they learn jumping really seriously. <laughs> I mean, they could literally jump like almost this high. I mean, it's amazing, amazing how they can jump, you know, for a girl, I mean, I mean. <laughs> and, and so everyone goes through the rite of passage. So when do you become an adult? What are some of the developmental signs of someone having grown up and becoming an adult? Number one, when you're able to think about Okay, my needs versus others and making it in a fair and balanced way. That's how you become an adult. Me-centered fairness to we-centered fairness. So in other words, when you become an adult, you don't just think about your fairness for yourself, but also the fairness for somebody else. And that's how you become an adult. You see, that's how you grew out of this, like, uh, um, you know, the selfishness from a childhood. And can take care of two people at the same time. <laughs> that's a sign of being an adult. Not only you take care of yourself, you learn to take care of other people in a way that is healthy. And then, you know, child and adult can never be fully mutual. You know, in a way that adult has a way of taking care of a child in a way that child cannot do to an adult, right? So that the love goes right over to the children. Always run, you know, it's like a river running from adult to children, you know? There's a Korean saying where, like, you can never outdo the love that your parents have for you, you know? And so then it is like that. Adult, being an adult, you have more love. You have more to give. You're always in a position of uh, being able to take care. We will always give more, listen more, tolerate more than they would be willing to do it for you. So then by the time you become a parent, you have a little bit of more patience than your children, right? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, even though the patience does run out, right, from time to time. But that's what it means to be an adult. You have a little bit more ability to listen, a little bit more patience than your children, and tolerate a little bit more than ever, right? One step ahead. Stable during difficult situation. This is important. In other words, your emotional sta stability is so mature that you are able to handle stress in such a way where other people are like going crazy, but you're able to keep your composure. You know, you'll be able to say, hey, you know what, you know what, I know it's tough, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Calm down, you know. One time, like a uh, a guy was about to be married, and I was I was doing a uh, sermon. I was I was I was doing a homily for them, leading the uh, wedding ceremony. And it's so funny. This guy's a surgeon. He's getting married to a girl, you know. I I knew, and they they met, and then this girl was all stressed out on a wedding day. You know, it was while he was waiting, he was coming to me, he was sweating, and it's just like telling me, Pastor Ram. Getting married is tougher than doing a surgery. 
<laughs> so, so I said, hey, hey, brother, calm down. I, let me pray for you. And I was able to pray for him. And oh, I feel better. You see, as an adult, we are an equalizer. You know, we are the, we are the thermometer. You know, we are the, we are the thermometer. We are the one who regulate things. And that's what being an adult is all about. Okay? And can return self and others to joy. Okay? And people who cannot do this, people who cannot go back to joy, people who cannot go back to a place of peace and all that, people who cannot do this will either avoid, escape, or get stuck in certain emotions, crippling many of their endeavors and relationships. You know, like you've been developing, growing things, doing things so well, and all of a sudden, your emotion takes over, and then you just like collapse, and then you lose everything, and then you start all over again. You know what I'm saying? So keeping the emotional stability and keeping the sense of joy as the center of your life and allow that to be an equalizer, stabilizer, so important. You know, one time, a guy was passing, well, a guy was selling Uh, Actually, it was like a teenage boy was selling the Chicago Tribune uh, newspaper on a cold winter day, like Chicago weather is so cold, nearby the lake where they have all the professional people going around. And then one guy bought bought a newspaper from this teenage boy for 25 cents back then. And then he came back, okay? One Chicago Tribune reporter was watching the whole thing. And then this gentleman, well-dressed gentleman, came back (laughs) to the teenage boy and said, you know what, there's nothing to read from this newspaper. Give me the 25 cents back. So if you were that teenage boy, what would you do? How would you respond? Yeah, you bought it. Or, well, you already read it. (laughs) (laughs) There goes 25 cents. But this teenage boy had a composure in a way that, you know, nothing could interrupt. He said, "Uh, please, would you wait a little bit and let me take care of this customer and I'll come back to you. And then when he came back to him, he gave him 25 cents. And the Chicago newspaper reporter was watching the whole thing. He got so fascinated. He ended up coming to this teenage boy. What was, what was the secret for you to just, just really respond so proactively like that? You, you acted so mature. And he said, this morning, I had a devotion with God. <laughs> and then God gave me peace in the morning. God gave me peace in my heart. Are you telling me that I should sell that piece for 25 cents? And then guess what? The, the reporter got so impressed, and he decided to put his story on the newspaper. And then reporter gave him $100. A <laughs> lot of money. A <laughs> lot of money for scholarship. $100. So it pays off. <laughs> to pay still and, and keep your composure. And the peace of God passes all understanding. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. We fail from time to time. But take heart. It takes practice. You know what I'm saying? And it takes ongoing pursuit in our lives. If I avoid all anger, anger being suppressed, if I avoid all anger, it eventually explodes into rage. If I get stuck in shame and failures, I may become depressed or even suicidal. And if I escape pain and rejection by doing drugs or having a, you know, solvent affairs, I've only increased my misery and suffering. And we got to deal with it. That's what the message is saying. We got to deal with it. We got to really deal with the blockages of our lives that prevents us from being so effective and powerful and impactful in the lives of other people. Another signs of another uh, developmental task that a, a child to adult growing up develop group identity, peer relationship, groups, another sense of belonging is something that needing to be created. Study shows that even if you're surrounded by like millions of people, if you have 12 people you know, 
that you won't feel alone. And then, even, even more than that, if you have three people that you are so intimate with, then you will never, ever feel alone. You have three people in your life. That's why I think Jesus has what? James and John, you know? Those three people were hanging around Jesus, and Jesus had 12 disciples. You know what I mean? So 12 is a magic number. Three is a trinity number. So God is not lonely. <laughs> they take care of themselves, right? And then seek truth and fairness for their society. Now you're thinking bigger. You're looking bigger than yourself. And that's how we become an adult and contributing part of the community. That's how we become an adult. We always give more, listen more. We talked about that. And then express one's unique identity in words and by living Truthfully, you have a sense of identity, you live out your purpose and goal in your life, and that's how we learn to be an adult. Like I said, you can always return to joy no matter what, and that's the important mark of being an adult. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a couple of, uh, couple of uh, you know, more insights that, that might help you. I'm going to go through it very quickly, okay? Let's read it together, maybe, okay? Let's read it together. Grow joy bond. Let's read it together, everyone. Grow joy bond. Keep what? Expanding the joy center. Keep expanding the joy center. So when you go around, you know, I was, I was, I was going to my house to, today, going to my RV, and I was kind of hungry, but I was looking at those kids. They were in the hammock, and then the brother and sister, they were like, they, they happened to be one of my church members from, from American church, and they were like greeting me like that. And I went over there, handshake them, and then give them my joy, and then whoever the stranger goes around, give them hi, you know? You do that, you do that. Do you think that it takes so much energy out of you? No, they give you energy back, yeah. And so become a joy center in the lives of people. And that's how you continue to grow joy. No matter, let's read it together. No matter stressful and distressful life may get, always go back to the joy foundation. Always go back. You may lose joy, but oh man, I messed up. I goofed up. Hey, man, I'm done today. Holy Spirit left me. Don't do that. You can always go back. You know, one thing that, that amazes me about King David, King David was... Was someone, you know, King David killed his own soldiers and lied and covered up things. And he had like 700 concubines, right? I have 700 wives and then 300 porcupines. That's what, that's what Doc Bachelor said yesterday. <laughs> and then, you know, he had so many porcupines. No, no. He has, so, he has so many, all of that. And yet, and yet, and yet, still, even though he pained a lot, he was, he was in a lot of pain, he got away with a lot of things. You know what I mean? He got away with a lot of things. You know why? Because, because David is someone who can always go back to God no matter what. You know what I'm saying? So it's not so much about having breakdown in our lives, how messed up our lives have been, but it's really about what? No matter what, you go back to God. Every time you have a chance, you go back to God. That's what Jacob did, right? Jacob in the Bible, he lied and cheated and all that. But he goes back to God and says, God, I want heaven, but I want the blessing on this earth as well. <laughs> he doesn't want to miss on anything, you know? But he, since he goes back to God all the time, God says, I'll bless you. So always go back to Joy Center no matter what. Especially, I want you to know, especially, how would you feel like, how would you feel like after having fight with your kids and then you know that you hurted them, your, your sinful self and your flesh came out and it became a bloody fight and then you just like crushed them and then you, you, you cannot even go to God. Like, ugh, I, I can't even pray. And you lose all joy. Dr. Um's lecture goes out the window like in one second. <laughs> and then that's when we need to what? Go back to the joy center. Amen? By faith. Would you promise that you will do that? Do that. Do that. Do that. That's going to bless you a lot. Let's try again. Don't lose your joy. Even if you lose it for a moment, do gain it back right away. That's the whole point. When anxiety hits, don't push yourself forward too much. Calm yourself down. Take a deep breath. 
replace my sickly ego with the super ego of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I like that. Be free from the fear of others' views. Be courageous. Do you think other people care? Not really. Not really. Why should you care so much about how other people view you anyway? You know what I'm saying? So be free from those things. Be a teammaker rather than soul runner. Don't fight. Don't fight. Be a teammaker. If you're fighting with your wife or with your spouse, you're losing a lot in life. Try to do everything. Be a teammaker. One time I met this Indian couple. I mean, they are like an Indian version of Adam and Eve. They were so beautiful. They were tall and like, wow, wow. And yet they were fighting like dogs and cats. Every day, they're vicious. They're ready to kill each other and ready to divorce each other. So I told the guy, are you a man? <laughs> I told him, are you a man? He said, yes, I am a man. Show me that you're a man. What do you mean? <laughs> he says, you're a man and you blame your wife for everything. You're not a man. If you're a man, you know how to coach. You need to learn how to coach. You need to learn from Abraham, who had 1,000 people in his tribe. And in the Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White said that Abraham knew how to lead because he led not by coercion, not by force, not by authoritarian tactics. He led by affection. Whoa, Abraham had that spirit of affection. So if you're a man, we need to learn how to lead. We need to learn how to be a coach. We need to learn how to make a team out of it. And of course, wife needs to cooperate to be a team. You know? One time I realized, it dawned on me. While my wife was trying to like, you know, tell me some things and everything, and I told you guys, right after the sermon was over, she would come over to me. She would do that same thing today, even today. After my lecture, she would come to me. Hey, honey, next time you can do this better by, you know, omitting this, and you spend too much time this and that. My wife is like an uh, inspector from North Korea. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can joke about her. <laughs> and so, used to be like, honey, this is not the time. Tell me. I feel, I feel bad about myself. <laughs> but you know what? Something's clicked in my life that, you know what? Lord, Lord gave her to me as my coach as well. So, I, try, I, I started to let her coach me. You know, I met a man. I met a man in overseas somewhere, I cannot mention. This man was a businessman. His wife was a businesswoman. He always looked down on her. Oh, you only make like, you know, I'm like a millionaire. And he was having $20 million in his asset. Wife would make suggestions to him. Who knows better about, you know, business? Guess what happened? Something hit. He made one mistake that his wife told him not to get involved with. By the time I met him, he lost $20 million. And he was living off of what his wife was making. And he felt so powerless, empty. You know, his pride got hurt. And he was telling me, if I had only listened to my wife, not only I would have saved $20 million, we would have been an amazing team together. And I said, nicer yeah, I said, exactly, exactly. And then I said, I said it's, not, it's never too late. It's never too late. You can still be a team. Well, I, I lost everything. I don't know what. Well, you can cook for her to begin with. Be a team. Have a chance to cook for her. Wait for her, and then work together with her. Be a team. We've got to be a team. Amen? We've got to be a team. Okay? Okay. Oh, this is very important. Think about the hurt that I render rather than the hurt that you might have received. That's how we mature. That's how we become an adult. If you start coming to me and talk about the hurt that you received, then you're still an immature child. 
If you come here and talk about like, you know what, I'm hurting my wife so much, I'm hurting my spouse so much, I'm hurting my children so much, how can I be better? How can I be in a place where I can be a source of healing in the lives of my children? Oh, wow, someone is learning to mature, amen? And a lot of times people come to me and say, you know what, my wife is too difficult, my husband is too difficult for me. Well, you don't think about how much you may have been difficult for your spouse. We don't think about that, right? We always think that, oh, my wife is lucky to marry me. Admit that you may have a blind spot in your life. Do you have a blind spot? In something that other people and the Holy Spirit need to teach us with. Be objective. Admit your wrongs. Swallow pride and be humble. Be objective. You know deep inside what your spouse is telling you is the truth. You know I've been there. <laughs> While I was trying to, like, trying to like manipulate and convince my wife with the Korean words that I know better. <laughs> when I first got married, she didn't know Korean very well. By fighting together, she learned Korean and I learned English. We fought unnecessarily because we didn't have wisdom. It's not the difference between each other that, that becomes a cause for problem. It is not knowing, not having the ability to use our differences in such a way that it brings harmony and, you know, compatibility. That was a problem. And so we need to learn to be objective. We need to learn from each other. And even if you don't feel like it, you need to say to your spouse, you know what, honey, I think God may be speaking to me through you. I don't like to hear it, but you may be telling the truth. I want to thank you for that. Can we do that? Can we go home and say, honey, I want to thank you for being hard on me sometimes. I needed that. It really helps me to grow up as a man. Whoa. If you say that to your wife, if you say that to your spouse, to your husband, you know, hey, teach me. I'm willing to learn. Coach me. So one time, I, I, I figured out about a couple's relationship, and then I told the lady, you know what? Go home and say, honey, teach me. You're my coach. <laughs> coach me. <laughs> and then this, this guy just flipped over. What on earth is happening to my wife? <laughs> she's willing to be coached, and she's willing to write down everything I say, and I want to follow. <laughs> and then she said in the end, you know what? If I don't turn out well, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> You're my coach. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do everything you tell me to do because what happened is that they, I went to their house. House was, a, was not a mess, but it was kind of clumsy and everything. This guy was a surgeon. He was a surgeon. So everything has to be like, you know what I mean? Lined up and, you know, everything. And he comes home and is like, it's like, he cannot live like that. And it just drives him crazy. And then look at her. She doesn't know how to organize. She's like all over the place. So I said, lady, God has given a surgeon as your husband. <laughs> you need to allow him to coach you. But you need to be a team. But at, I told the husband, you cannot put her down. You cannot put her down. You are actually killing her. You are destroying her. Look at her hair. You look at herself. She, she's all distressed and stressed and everything. She has such a low sense of self. So be your coach and be coached from her. Ah, oh, they got excited. Wow, they said, how come we never knew this? And they learned so much. They took me to a nicest restaurant. I had the greatest meal ever. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing now, but I need to check up on them. <laughs> but I haven't heard from them anything, so that, that's a good news at least. Be resourceful, ask for help. Okay, I'm done with this. Okay, now, you know what? Time is, uh, I, have, I have actually uh, 25 more minutes, but I think that I will give you, I have a final portion that I need to go through. Should I do that, or should I give you some time to ask questions and stuff? Just keep it up. Are you okay? 
Okay, you're not abused by my lectures? <laughs> you're inspired? Amen. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on then. There is a sense of identity that the word allow us to build and the sense of identity that God wants us to build. So the worldly identity, worldly identity is a false identity, and then godly identity is a true identity that God wants us to have. So that's what I have in mind. I made a sermon out of it, but you know what? Um, let me just go through it very, very quickly. One time I got so busy, and I was doing so many things, and on Thursday, especially going to church and do things, discipleship, I was heard into a Journey to Wholeness program that Halin was uh, putting together, and then I went into that program, and then she uttered this word, I'm a child of God, I'm a recovering alcoholic. As soon as I heard that word, I was like, I became really, really calmed down. I said, wow, in the end? As much as you lead a, led a hurried life and all that, nothing matters than you being a what? Child of God. It was such, a, such an amazing reminder that allows me to be in touch with peace that God's want, God wanted me to have, wanted me to have. And all, at the time, all noises are silenced. Nothing else mattered anymore. Even when everything else failed, not satisfied, life has been one of a hurried, never-ending treadmill, leaving me almost breathless upon hearing, uttering that simple word, truth about our true identity. One can finally breathe and breath of deep rest, just soaking into the deep, simple, profound reality, again, being a child of God. Amen? I'm a child of God. We live in a day today answering this fundamental question, who are we? Who am I? And then to answer this question, there are so much distractions. Okay? There are three answers from below. This worldly answer, the secular answer, and false, which provides false sense of identity. We are what we do. That's a worldly value tells us to have in terms of our identity. I want you to follow after me. We are what we do. I know, I know. We are what we do. Okay, come on, everybody. No one's excited, right? We are what we do. <laughs> we are what we do. That's a worldly value tells us in terms of our, our, our you know, identity. And we are what we do. And, they, and then secondly, we are what, what others say about us. And so we are what we do. We are what others say about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we are determined by the view of other people. And, uh, and then thirdly, we are what we have. Three things, okay? I want you to really, really, uh, you know, itch in your mind. Number one, we are what we do. do. And we are what others say about us. And thirdly, we are what we have. And therefore, in terms of following, by following this worldly value system, when it comes to uh, identity formation, when we follow this, we are what we do uh, motto, we pursue performance. We become performance-based. We become success-oriented. And so then, if I'm not successful, I don't have any identity. I'm a failure. You know what I mean? Worldly value system. Because we are what we do. And then we become really addicted to, in this performance trap. Okay, secondly... If we are what others say about us, and that's what people are into, what? Popularity, right? You want to be popular. Why? Because we are what other people tell us as to who I am. Oh, that guy is powerful. Everybody knows him and all that. So then we become so fixated in the pursuit of popularity, either pursuing performance or popularity. And if we are what we have, and that's why people pursue what? Power. You want to have any kinds of power, right? And so then, you know, identity that we have, we, we're trying to build from a worldly system, either we are performance-based or popularity-based, power-based. I made it as three Ps. Three Ps that are very dangerous, okay? Yeah, these three Ps are bad. Ps are good, the three Ps are bad, okay? <laughs> okay, performance or popularity or what? power. It's very unhealthy for us. Why? I'm going to explain why. Problems with the answers from below. Why? It's fragile. It can be taken away from you anytime, any moment, right? It is fragile. And then secondly, it is external. 
It is external. No matter how much you accomplish, no matter how much you perform, no matter how much you are popular, no, you know, think about all the depressed people among Hollywood people. You know what I mean? You know, all these people. You know, the carpenter lady who sings this amazing, peaceful song, right? I, you know the carpenter lady? Who, right, this seems like so peaceful. First time when I heard it, how come someone's voice be so peaceful like that? And little did I know that she committed suicide. It's like, she committed, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, committed suicide, as far as I know. I didn't read that from People's Magazine. Somebody told me. <laughs> you know, full of like fragility and external things that doesn't make us happy, right? And then thirdly, it gives us limited control, right? If you, perform, if you prefer, if you pursue performance or power or popularity of this world, it can be taken away just like that. Losing our job, our fame, our wealth, often caused by events completely beyond our control. But when we depend on them, we have sold ourselves to the world but then we are what the world gives us. Word gives us certain identity, but the identity that the world gives us, many Christians, many, many well-meaning Christians, in the name of Christ, in the name of being a follower of Jesus Christ, instead of following the value system of Christ, we are following the value system of this world. We let the world to define us, and therefore, we lose our sense of identity completely, entirely. Isn't it true? It's really true. You know, I mean, subtly, we give worldly identity, worldly value system to be taught to our children. You know, in the name of safety and security, you got to be successful, you got to be popular, you got to have enough, you know, you got to have certain power. And we're not, we're not passing down Christian values. We're passing down worldly value, and that's what Satan wants. But it's fragile, external, limited. Are you ready for this? Fourthly, the problem with the worldly value system that gives us this kind of identity results in this, number four. It ends with what? Death. When you die, <laughs> this, this identity that you've been working so hard to build die with you. How would you like that? How would you work so hard that in the end you go inside of the, uh, there's a book called Everything Goes Into the Box. And that's a, that's a book about Monopoly, but that's a book about life. You know, after you play Monopoly, everything goes back into the box. Just like that, when we die, what happened? We go back to the box. <laughs> it's talking about death. So one thing that's really, really detrimental about building our lives around the value system of this world and that builds certain identity that is not only fragile, external, limited, but it leads to death. When you die, you lose that identity. And how meaningless and how empty it would be. You see, because when you die, you can't do anything anymore, Right? But you know what? My father had the identity in Jesus Christ, and he gave me that identity in Christ. He passed, me, passed it down to me. Even if my, wife is, my father is resting in the, under the ground, I visited him a couple months ago, and I was talking to my dad. Of course, he can't listen, he can't hear, but I said, Dad, you must be very happy. You're, you're a lucky man, because why are you resting there? I'm working hard for the Lord. So you started something. You pass it down to me. And I'm hoping the day will come that when I rest, my children will work for the Lord. You know what I mean? And that's how the legacy continues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So identity that you have in Jesus Christ never, ever goes away. It never dies. But worldly values, worldly identity dies with that. You know, can't do anything anymore. People don't talk about us anymore. Isn't it crazy? I go to Korea, I'm not even dead. I'm not even dead, right? I'm alive, right? You think that I'm alive? Right? <laughs> and then I go to Korea, nobody knows me anymore. Wow. Like 10 years later, I went back to Korea. Nobody knows me anymore. I was, 
I was so popular in Korea, believe it or not. I was very popular. I was like, whenever we had a concert, thousand and thousand, fifteen hundred people would gather. We were singing. I'm, I was part of the male quartet. I'm not showing up, but you know, you wouldn't believe me. But anyway. But then I went back to Korea, nobody knows me. And I was referred to me, I was referred, and people ended up learning to know me through my brother. But when I was growing up, when I was like popular, nobody knew my brother. But now I'm going to Korea, it's like, this is the brother of Dok Hyun. <laughs> and so, I'm still alive, but you know, when you die, you will be forgotten, you will no longer be remembered, worldly speaking. And that's why, even though we live this temporal, very short time of our lives here on this earth, we need to capture this moment for eternity. We need to live for eternity. We need to allow now to be an eternity, an eternal now. Amen? Amen. That's what we need. Jesus came to announce that identity based on success, popularity, power is a false identity. It's a total illusion. We are not what the world makes us to be. We are children of God. It is our true identity. Amen? Amen. What is spiritual life? It's a constant claiming of being the child of God. That's why Psalm 46.10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. And that's what Christianity is all about. It's not about doing, but it's about being. You remember, I talked about it yesterday after the baptism of Jesus. You are my son, beloved. My favor, my favor rests on you. You see, true identity. And then he was led to the desert to be tempted, right? And I'm going to end with this. You see, when he was tempted, he was tempted by the three things that Satan wants us to build in terms of identity. He says, changing the stones to bread. That has, to do with, that has to do with performance. And then throwing himself from the temple tower to be carried by angels. Wow, if the angels carry him down without falling and dying, he would be popular, right? He was tempting him for popularity, tempting him for um, performance, success. And then all the kingdom of the world will be given to him. Jesus was tempted the same way that we, we've been tempted in terms of our identity. Jesus didn't need to prove what he already was. We need to choose to live free from the manipulative, illusionary game of this world. We need to choose to remain truthful to the voice that has spoken to him at the Jordan. Jesus' entire life was a life of obedience to that voice, calling him beloved. Amen? Everything that Jesus said and did came from that most sacred, intimate, spiritual communion. And I'm going to end with this. As sinful and broken we may be, we need to come here. We need to take a moment every day to soak into the identity that Jesus has given us as a gift, not as a reward. Amen? Amen. And to hear the voice of God calling each one for that identity, calling us to be still and know that He is God who created us to be the Beloved. Not because we are proven ourselves to be worthy, but rather he has freely chosen us to be worthy. Let us silence all the noises and stop from everything from day to day. Just take time to listen to that small, gentle voice of love. <laughs> Calling us as his children. Tomorrow is our last day, and tomorrow I'm going to talk about parent stage and then at you know, you know, elder stage. Uh, it's an important day where we're going to wrap up everything. And please come tomorrow, and uh, we'll, we'll have an amazing time together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this identity in Christ as a gift. In Christ, you have given us the beloved, the identity of being loved, identity that is filled with a joy bond with you, Holy Spirit is there to tell us that we are children of God. And it's a gift, and it's given, and it is something that is already realized in our hearts. 
Lord, help us to embrace our sonship in Christ, and so much so that we may start acting like one. But, but we don't act like one to become one, but we act like one because we hurry, you have already made us to be one. Amen? Father, our Lord, help us to share this good news with others that we, by the grace of God, you have put us on, you have given us, you you have allowed us to put on the the sonship in Jesus. Let us celebrate in it. Let us rejoice in it. Let us proclaim this marvelous good news with other people. Help us not to be dictated, not to be shaped by the fragile, external, and temporal, and not lasting worldly value system as to who I am. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.